Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Happy Thursday and welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks with Russ Brown. Thank you very much for being with us. We appreciate it. It is a throw under the bus Thursday, and if you have not heard our show for very long, if you're new to our program, probably in about the second year, maybe even the first year of our show, we started, by the way, March 27th, 2007, so we are a couple of weeks away from our 16th anniversary of this program. We had a segment that we would do every Thursday called Throw Them Under the Bus Thursday, and we have done it on and off for many years, had fun with it, just allows you to call up and throw someone in the sports world under the bus. I mean, we have had people call up and throw their boss under the bus. Of course, they didn't know their boss was listening, but that's another story for another day. Russ, I got a good one today. I almost want to lead the show off with it. It's so good. <laughs> Those are and usually it's the even best got ones. Got a sports slant to it too. I mean, that it's it's perfect. Should I do it right now or wait? Um, let's, why not, man? Let's go for it. Okay. I would like to throw O.J. Simpson under the bus. <laughs> Is it 1995? <laughs> And the reason, Russ, is as I was strolling through my Twitter account just a little while ago, OJ decided to get on Twitter and provide his thoughts and analysis to the Murdahl trial. Because, according to him, people had been asking his thoughts on whether he thought that guy in South Carolina was guilty or not. And then he had the gall to say, Russ, I don't know why anyone would think I was an expert. Oh, maybe because you chopped your wife's head off, you moron. Has he never heard the term takes one to no one? <laughs> I mean, the, the dream world he, he lives in must be really, really nice. Just fantasy world, you know, out playing his little golf. He's wearing his little Steve Spurrier visor all the time. And I follow this Twitter account for amusement only. But today might have topped it when he had the audacity in the first 30 seconds of his answer, which was about a four-minute video, by the way. We ought to play it later in the show just for the heck of it. I don't know why anybody would think I was an expert at this. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. I'm sure, I'm sure, Russ, that's because he's out still looking for the killer. Right. Have we had an update on that since, uh, like, 1996 uh, the, the trail's gone cold okay. or golfing the trail's gone golfing <laughs> there's gonna be a long two-hour dateline one one day they're gonna have this big build-up and at the end of the dateline keith morrison's voice is gonna come on and say you know what we just think oj did it <laughs> i can just see that happening all right you doing okay russ yeah i'm doing great today so I'm in Waycross, and I, I'm just warning you, a sneeze is coming. And I don't usually get impacted like this. I mean, usually you're the one, Russ, the two of us, that's snorting and, and everything with this pollen all over there. And God knows Chris is crazy with it. And Daniel, he's another whole story, whole show about it. I'm usually the calmest of the four of us. And I don't, I don't think Alex really has problems. Man, 
Is it because I'm 52.999 that it's finally getting to me? No, actually, I think the, the pollen count for the month of February was, was out of control. And then yesterday, I think it was over 100. There were two of those days in the month. So I think it's just – and it's and that was for this area, so it's probably even worse down there. Now, we, we've been fortunate here in middle Georgia to get some rain today, so it's not as bad. But oh, wow. Yeah, the pollen count's up there. Well, if anyone uh, in Waycross happened to hear someone going out on their back porch and sneezing – louder than a foghorn to alert of a hurricane it was me (laughs) i mean i let it out brother i'm like i didn't you know how you hold your sneeze so you won't you know spray the whole people that are around you there were ants coming out of their beds wondering what the hell had happened after that sneeze it was it was kind of bad but anyway it's it's kind of rough down here, but, I mean, what's the date? Oh, it's March 2nd. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, can you top my throwing of the bus Thursday with anybody that's pissed you off? Well, I won't say this person is, has, has, has made me angry because um, we've gotten a good laugh out of it. And, and I'm not, I won't say the name because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody specifically, but you know who you are. Uh, but the guy that called the Midday Show and suggested there was a conspiracy against Stetson Bennett with his arrest in Dallas – I'm going to throw him under the bus. Wow. Man, the things I miss when I'm not listening. Yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I don't I, – I just – I asked one question, Bill, and I, I was trying to be as kind and polite and open-minded as I could, and I just asked, what what's the motive? What did I say yesterday about watching too much television <laughs> from 7 until 11 at night? Yeah, well, we've decided it was just – it was probably angry TCU fans. They, they, they just bought him drinks all oh, night, okay. got him liquored up, and then, ha-ha, I gotcha. Yeah, there you go. That that could be – well, things have happened in Dallas before us that were a little sinister. You know that. Yeah, they made a whole well, TV show about it, yeah. Like, well, no, no, I'm talking about what happened 60 years ago this November. Oh, well, yeah. You know, yeah. When, when Woody Harrelson's dad was on the grassy knoll. See, see, you're feeding the beast when you say that. You can't do that. <laughs> he was over by the train tracks, dressed like a hobo, walked away, no one questioned him or anything, put the gun in his – case and walked away but other than that there was no second shooter from the grassy knoll well you know what look i mean obviously the stuff came out about stetson and he's going to have to be asked about it we said this a couple of weeks ago it's part of the story um today at the nfl combine several players uh, I know Chris Smith, um, was it was it Kelly, Kelly Ringo or it was another one? Um, they have been asked about Jalen Carter, and they pretty much said no comment, which I'm sure was a directive from Athens to just stay out of it. And I understand that. I would probably tell the players the same thing, not to not support their teammate. You know what, Russ, at this point, anything you say is going to be turned and some people are going to think it's good some people just don't say anything at all all right and and look when you if there's a warrant put out for your arrest and you seek legal counsel the first thing the lawyers are going to say is don't say anything just don't talk about it and especially for guys and i know they're teammates so there's a link there and for the reporters they have to ask the question so I, i understand that too but in a situation like this especially with an investigation that you weren't a part of just it's best just to say no comment yep and and that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of no comments. There's going to be a lot of talk about this on the outside. But those around Jalen Carter, they're just, they can't. They're not, I mean, why would you? And 
Jalen Carter was booked in the athens Clark County Jail last night. He posted bond. I think he was only there for about 15 minutes, if I remember the, correctly the story. And he was then released, got back on a plane, headed back to Indianapolis, and is at the NFL Combine today. Now, I haven't seen anything in the last hour or so, Russ. I know there's been talk on social media that he might say something here today. Have you seen anything different? Or I mean, I can't imagine that, but yet you have to wonder. Um, I mean, he's going back there and he's not working out, so he's at the minimum – He's going to be speaking to teams, right? Yeah, that's the the the, the main thing. Um, and I don't. I know they'll be on the field or, uh, this afternoon and into the evening. I don't. I'm not sure if he's going to be a part of that. But yeah, the main thing is he's from what I've read and understand, he's going back to talk with the teams. And you know, as, as far as where we're at in this process now, that's probably the smart move because you know, while you're not going to talk about it publicly. You know, as you're preparing for the NFL draft, these teams are going to want to, you know, have a conversation about what happened that night. And and I think it's going to be, uh, you know, in in his favor to go ahead and have those conversations. It's going to be uncomfortable, and uh, you know, it's not a position I I would want anybody to be in. But you know, it, it's it's like a job interview, and this is something that his future employers are going to want to know about. I again use the disclaimer that. Any discussion about Jalen Carter regarding sports is not by any means a misdirection of the tragedy that happened in Athens or not thinking about Devin Willick and, and Chandler. Uh, but this is a sports show, and we do have to talk about the impact on sports and, in this case, the impact on the NFL draft. And obviously, with the combine starting today, uh, that's the way it is going to go. So uh, please, whether it's now or any day that we are talking about Jalen Carter or McClendon, I mean, you know we're all thinking about those two that did not survive that horrible accident. Uh, Georgia has just announced their practice dates for spring. They will start on March 14th, which is a week from this coming Tuesday. So that's 12 days away. And then the 16th, 18th, 21st, 23rd, 25th, 28th, March 30th, then April 1st, 4th, 6th, 8th, 11th, 13th, and then the 15th. And, of course, uh, that will be a very emotional couple of weeks for that team because it's the first time they've been back together on the field since the tragedy happened on January the 15th. So, uh, you know, that'll be a part of the story. I mean, there's no question about it. So. The spring date is April the 15th, G-Day game, and they will start on March 14th. And uh, just about every two or three days, they will have a practice and be out there on the field in Athens. So we'll see how that goes. The um, The Braves are beating the Mets today, which is a really good thing. Colby Allard had three scoreless innings of work. And there's that Dodd kid again, I'm telling you. Dylan Dodd is a story of this spring training so far. Another scoreless appearance two and a third innings pitched three hits allowed no walks four strikeouts then swarmer came in he is a kid they signed he had pitched for the cubs last year he got an out the other day and now he got uh two outs gave up a walk and then darius vines is in the game uh as well eli white had a home run ryan could still had a home run a couple of guys in in big league camp and good to see colby aller to get three innings of work and they were playing the Mets and let's see if the Mets had 
a good lineup or a bunch of no names though. They had Fam, McNeil, Lindor, Alfonso. Well, they got pretty good appearance for Colby Allard. Look, we, we say all the time that the backups in Gwinnett are almost as important as what goes on in Atlanta this year. And I say that in jest because there are so many player moves over the course of a six-month season that you have to have more than just the 26 you have in Atlanta at that particular time. You have to almost have uh, – I mean, you have to have 35 to 40. You really do. And uh, I think last year alone the Braves had 31 pitchers on the mound not at the same time, but, I mean, at, over the course of the season, they had 31 people that would pitch for them. And so it's good to see Colby Allard come out and, and do well. And um, so that's good. That's good news. The Braves had Azuna in the lineup. He went 0 for 3. Uh, you're not helping yourself, Marcel, that's for sure. Pilar, 0 for 2, but a walk and a run scored. He is helping himself. He's having a really good spring. Grissom with another hit, 1 for 2 today. Uh, Forrest Wall, who they got from Colorado, a free agent, minor league free agent, two for four today. And let's see if anybody else, uh, pretty, that's pretty much it. A lot of, a lot of, uh, minor league guys in this game today, which is in Port St. Lucie. So a lot of the regulars did not make the trip to Port St. Lucie tomorrow. They will uh, probably stay over and they will play at Houston which will be fun for Brian Snicker to see his son, Troy, of course, who is the hitting coach for the Astros, the world champion Astros. Houston trains in Palm Beach, and so Palm Beach and Port St. Lucie, not too far apart, about 20 miles, I believe, if I remember correctly. And so the Braves are staying on that side of Florida and um, will uh, play the Astros tomorrow. So, so far, so good. Braves beating the Mets, that's always good. And uh, Vaughn Grissom keeps on hitting. Uh, Russ, I mean, I, look, we, we need to remember something. And so many people, every time they talk Braves baseball, probably the same with you, Russ, they want to talk about shortstop and Vaughn Grissom. No, he's not going to be Dansby defensively from day one. It's, I mean, Dansby was not what he was late last year as a great defensive player five years ago. He got better over time. Ron Washington is going to work with this kid over time to make him better. And because I don't think there's any question in my mind about whether or not Vaughn Grissom can hit. Is there with you? No, I think he showed us last year when he came up. Uh, and look, I know he went into a little bit of a slump at the end of the season, and that's going to happen. But he can hit. The, 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 Vaughn Grissom's presence in the lineup is going to make the Braves lineup better. I don't think, you know, when Dansby's hot, he's, he's hot. But he's also very streaky. So I think you're going to see a more consistent, more even bat on a night-to-night basis out of Vaughn Grissom. Uh, and I don't know where, you know, being a young player, they'll probably want to keep him down in the order at least to start the season. So I don't think he'll be batting second like Dansby was. But I do think he is an upgrade offensively. And I can't wait to see how he settles into the lineup at the beginning of the year and then how the, the lineup is kind of structured later in the year. I have a feeling that lineup's going to change. I mean, first of all, Russ, we don't know what it's going to be yet. I mean, we've seen Matt Olson hit second, which is very interesting to have Acuna and then Olson and then Riley. Ha, I mean, that's kind of crazy, to be honest with you, for the first three. So we don't know exactly what Snit's going to do. But, look, I, I think with Ozzy's return, if he has a very good year offensively, obviously he could move around in that lineup. He has before. 
Grissom, we just talked about him. And look, if Marcel Azuna somehow does get back on track, he could find himself higher later than he is going to be early on. And the same with Rosario. So, I mean, this could be a a lineup in progress for a while for this Atlanta team in 2023. Yeah, and, and the you know, the thing is that for fans, because we're all going to have our opinions on what we think the lineup should be, because, you know, we can all do Brian Snitker's job. Um, but wh- whatever it is, the, the Snit's the key to this whole thing because he usually he, – he'll tweak it when he needs to. We've seen him make the lineup switches in the past, you know, last year, getting Dansby up there into that second spot when he did kind of helped spark things a little bit when he had it going. Uh, so, so whatever it is on opening day, that's not going to be the lineup, and you've got a manager that will get the right combination figured out before this – you know, you get probably – Mid-May, I would say, you know, definitely before June. Absolutely. I think so, too. You know, one of the many questions that people are also asking about this Braves team here in spring training is whether or not Ian Anderson is going to win that fifth starter's job. I know a lot of people are focusing on Mike Soroka, Michael Soroka, excuse me, and I understand that, get it. I'm rooting for him, too. I'm not counting on him. I just don't think that's wise. I mean, it's March 2nd. And there's about four weeks until they leave Florida. So there's still plenty of time. But he's only pitching on flat ground right now. He's not off a mound. So he's not going to break camp with his team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So the other person that we need to keep an eye on is Bryce Elder. Now, I mentioned to you that Dylan Dodd pitched today for Atlanta. Second straight solid performance. He threw, I believe, Saturday uh, Saturday or Sunday one of those two days, and he was very impressive. I had told our listeners a couple weeks ago that one of the early names that I was hearing out of Florida was Dylan Dodd, and he was a third-round pick a few years ago. And once again, <laughs> looks like the Braves may have found a college pitcher for a draft pick that is maybe better than people thought. Now, I say that, of course, comparing – the situation of Dylan Dodd to Spencer Strider, who, of course, nobody knew that Spencer Strider was going to become what he has become. He is a Cy Young candidate. I think people are mentioning him as a possibility to win the Cy Young for the National League this year, and it's legit. I mean, there's no question. We saw that in the 20 starts last year that prompted Alex Anthopoulos to give him a long-term contract. So Strider is a great college pitcher, had a career at – Clemson that was derailed because of Tommy John surgery. But another, of course, a college pitcher is Bryce Elder, who was a pitcher at the University of Texas, and now Dylan Dodd. And, you know, it doesn't take those college pitchers as long as the high school pitchers. That's why it's so great that the Braves drafted a pretty good number of high school pitchers last year that they can allow to develop slowly at a very good pace down the minor leagues. Most of those guys will probably be in low A Augusta this year, Owen Murphy and some of the other guys. But the college guys can come quickly. Uh, you may remember last year we, during the season we had Spencer Schwellenbach on, who had been uh, a second-round draft pick by the Braves a couple of years ago, and then almost immediately when he got in the organization had Tommy John surgery. And we tracked his progress and talked with him about his recovery from, from TJ. A lot of people have speculated that if, in fact, Schwellenbach, is, and it's like S. C-H-W-E-L-L-E-N-B-A-C-H. If Schwellenbach is back healthy this year, that he is someone that could kind of take off, and we could see him perhaps in the big leagues. Probably not this year, but probably 
maybe in 2024, which is pretty fast. So, and we've seen college pitchers over the last decade, Alex Wood, another example, that have just gotten to the big leagues pretty quickly. So, uh, when I say all that, it, it it's about the fifth starter spot if Ian Anderson cannot go. There's no question that Bryce Elder is going to be a candidate. The Braves like Bryce Elder. He had a lot of good appearances last year for that team. And I think Dylan Dodd's going to be part of that too. So, look. Even with Michael Soroka not, a, in my opinion, a viable candidate to break camp with that team as the fifth starter, if Ian Anderson cannot win the job, there are other candidates with Bryce Elder being at the top of the list. So it's something we definitely have to keep an eye on and, and see how it kind of goes. Because, look, there's four more weeks left, and I know it's real early. Ian just had that one performance a couple of days ago. It was not a good one. No question about it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He said it was not good at all. But there are other candidates for the Braves. And look, if those candidates do not give the Braves enough confidence in their ability to go out there, and if there is someone floating around on the waiver wire or on the trade market at the end of March, I have no lack of confidence in Alex Anthopoulos to go get any help that he might need, whether it's at the end of spring training or later in the season. He, he's not been a big spring training trader. John Charles was. Frank Wren uh, pulled some deals in spring training as well. I remember being at at uh, at uh, Disney and hearing that LaVon Hernandez was walking into the complex and went over there to see that. I couldn't believe that. I think, what was that? He made like, what, two starts for Atlanta, Russ? It wasn't very much, was it? No, no. That, I, heck, I barely almost had forgotten that it even happened. Yeah, it was it was a brief stint for sure. Yeah, it was it was uh, uh, you know it was toward the end of the camp though, and yeah, it was 2012. He made no, he was he was a he only made 18 relief appearances, and didn't do very well. I mean, he was at the end of his career. He went on to pitch for Milwaukee, and his ERA was sky high with the Brewers, and he was done. So it was at the end of his career, final year for him, which was 2012. But I mean, that's what Frank Wren and John Charles did fairly well, and that is bring in reinforcements at spring training if needed so even though Alex has not done that very much uh, in his five plus years on the job I, I think he would if need be but I don't think he needs to I mean I think with Bryce Elder I'd be shocked if between Bryce Elder Ian Anderson Dylan Dodd there's not someone who can be uh, a starting pitcher for that fifth spot so uh, it's not something that I'm really worried about I mean look I think this praise rotation is one of the best in the game, and I can't wait to see how they do. I am really excited about this Atlanta Rays rotation. Uh, I want to take a break and come back. Uh, I found a video online uh, about the changes in Major League Baseball. We're going to play that video after the break and talk about what the gentleman says. It's a video, so you're probably saying, well, why the hell are you going to play it on the radio? Well, I think you can listen to the to the video through the radio and, and kind of understand more of what the guy is saying. He's one of the executives for Major League Baseball about all the changes. And then Russ and I can talk about a little bit and and more thoughts on how these changes are going to impact the game because I don't think there's any question these are the most impactful changes as far as the quantity of them, perhaps in the history of the game. This is a very different game that we're getting ready to see uh, when they get started up in April. So we'll play that video. We'll talk about that. A little bit of basketball talk as well, and uh, plenty to talk about here on this Thursday afternoon. With Russ Brown, I'm Bill Shanks. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. 
Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us. Bill and Russ here on the radio. I'm in Waycross. Russ in Macon. All right, so obviously the changes in Major League Baseball are going to be a big storyline here as we watch and listen to this game in 2023. There are a number of changes that, of course, these are the things that Major League Baseball says are the things that we wanted, the fans wanted, and that they listened to us. And so, therefore, he's going to blame us on these things. Um, Pitch timer, 15 seconds with the bases empty, 20 seconds with um, runners on. Hitter gets one timeout per plate appearance, must be in the batter's box with eight seconds left. Pitcher gets two disengagements, pickoff attempts, or step-offs per batter. Violations are a balk. Limit on pickoff attempts led to a 26% increase in stolen bases in the minor leagues. Pitch timer helped reduce games by 25 minutes in the minors in 2022. Shift restrictions. S-H-I-F-T. Two infielders must be positioned on either side of second base when the pitch is released. All four infielders must have both feet within the field, infield when the pitcher is on the rubber. Shift restrictions increase batting average and decrease strikeouts to the minors while giving players more opportunity to show off their athleticism. Isn't that sweet? Now, Ross, I want to stop right there because I don't know if you saw that Christian Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers was on some show and said that he had heard – one, and this may be from the Brewers, may be just from player chatter, that one thing that teams are going to try to do is when a player comes up that should be dramatically shifted, in other words, a shift would have been on them last year when all these restrictions were not in place, that they could possibly put players in motion. For example, if there is a left-handed batter, who is predominantly uh, a, a pull hitter, that the shortstop in this position would be almost in motion like a wide receiver to head toward that way in case the ball went that way and the second baseman would be more over toward uh, you know that right field lane where a lot of the – we were talking yesterday about wondering whether the right fielder would come in, you know, and then they'd – shift the center fielder over so the thought process is the second baseman would shift over closer to the first and the shortstop would be in motion to be able to catch something on that half of the diamond that's going to be weird if we see that in the uh, infield isn't it yeah i don't i don't that, that doesn't sound like a very sound strategy to me because i i mean to me i mean fielding a ground ball it was always get your feet set and get a wide base under you and i don't know how you do that if you're on a if you're running, so I, but I mean, hey, these guys are phenomenal athletes, so I that would be interesting to see. I wonder if somebody is going to try that. And and I still believe that for a, the right hitter, for example, someone who's just really a pull hitter and rarely, if any time, pulls or hits the ball to the opposite field, you bring your right fielder in. Because there was no doubt when they put Austin Riley, for example, in short right field from third base last year, I mean, more times than not, he seemed like he was going to make a play. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, no. The, the, the defensive analytics are 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 spot on. There, there's no doubt about it. That's the the number one reason they had to ban the shift. Uh, and, and and you know those spray charts are really really accurate. And and but you know and I and I get the why that's a one. I think one of the main reasons why is because teams had started to shift their positioning. I mean, you can this is stuff you can't really see on TV, but at the games based on the pitch count. So, you know, you'd have Austin Riley running from right field to third base in the middle of an at-bat. I, I bet he's I, – I, I bet Austin likes these new rules. Yeah. Well, because he was put over there because of his arm. Mm-hmm. Ozzie does not have the arm to be backed up onto the grass. There's no way. I mean, so that's kind of a problem, and that's why um, it's not like they could ever just back Ozzie up and everything. They needed a stronger arm in short right field. Anyway, all right, bigger bases. First base, second base, third base increased from 15 square inches to 18. Bigger bases expect to have positive impact on player safety. Distance reduced by three feet uh, from home to first, uh, uh, three inches from home to first, home to third, reduced by four and a half from first to second, second to third. Bigger bases reduced injury events near the bases by more than 13% of the minors in 2022. So, um, there was a video that accompanied this article that I thought was kind of interesting. Now, the, the gentleman who is uh, doing this video is a major league executive. Let me get his name real quick. Um, they have obviously some uh, – his name is Joe Martinez, MLB vice president of on-field strategy. Oh, isn't that special? And so he uh, is doing this little presentation. It's a couple of minutes long, and I thought we would listen to it. It's a video, and you can find it on MLB.com, but I, I thought it was good enough to where we could listen to it to kind of gain more insight on some of the things, especially after what we saw happen last Saturday when the Braves ha- had a weird situation happen that ended that game in the first exhibition game of the year. So here's Joe Martinez now, the MLB vice president of on-field strategy, talking about the new rules. First thing you'll notice, right, are the timers in center field. We're trying to get them close enough where they're easy to see and also kind of at a, at a good height so they can't be blocked. The umpire is going to be behind the plate, trying to focus in, want to make sure they can see the timer no matter if there's a right-handed or left-handed batter. There's also two timers behind the plate. They're going to be programmed so when the clock expires, these are going to buzz, right? So the umpires are going to be able to wear most likely kind of on the wrist, maybe on the forearm, ankle, like wherever's best for them and how they like to position it. They can put all their focus on that pitch and rely on this to, to buzz and remind them when the clock expires. These uh, Riedel packs, right? They used these same things last year for in-stadium announcements, right? Replay announcements. Um, they're going to use them again for that, right? The umpires will be able to clip this microphone somewhere near their mouth, right? They don't have to have the earpiece in all the time. They can push this button, which will probably be on their belt and say, hey, restart the clock or you know, set it to 30 or whatever it might be to make sure that they stay in sync with the clock operator. So one of the ideas is the batter has to be in the box and ready to give the pitcher enough time to get a sign and deliver a pitch, right, without violating the timer. So the batter's gonna have to be in the box and alert to the pitcher with at least eight seconds remaining. And when we say in the box, it's pretty easy, right? Full feet in the box, right? And the batter's gonna have to have his eyes up on the pitcher. So with eight seconds or less, right, he can't have his head down, taking around, can't have his hand up calling time to the umpire and those would be violations. However, he doesn't need to be, you know, that on his shoulder, right? So it's perfectly acceptable to be in there, 
eyes up, have the bat down here, no problem. That would that would satisfy uh, alert to the pitcher, right? Keep kind of be doing whatever he wants. It's just the the idea is just so that if the pitcher starts pitching, right, can quickly kind of get in that stance and get ready to hit. So if guys a batter here, right, it's it's counting down. You kind of have plenty of time to get in here and be ready, right? Eyes up, no problem. There's requirements for when the when the uh, the clock stops for the pitcher is when he begins his motion to deliver the pitch. It's a little different from the windup and the stretch. So from the windup, it's really that first movement on, on what we used to, I don't know if they still do call like a rocker step, which is usually back or to the side for most pitchers. So getting a sign, clock is gonna continue to run. As soon as you start taking that first step back or that step to the side, the clock is gonna stop and shut off. Getting a sign, however you do it. I know guys do it different. Right, as soon as you start moving that, that step back, right? For making that movement, clock shuts off. So all you have to do is, is start that before the clock hits zero, no violation. However, for, for our version here, right, it's not gonna stop until you lift that three leg to deliver the pitch. So come set, clock is gonna continue to run, continue to run. It's not gonna stop until you pick that foot up, as Tyler just did, to, to, make, your, uh, to make your pitch to the plate. So the bigger base, right, really the only difference is that instead of it being 15 inches on each side, it's 18 inches on each side. From the tip of home plate to the back of the base is 90 feet. So that's not changing, right? It's still gonna be 90 foot bases. There's no change there. The only difference is the front of the base is gonna be three inches closer to home plate. At second base, the baselines actually meet right in the middle of the base, right? So you're going to actually cut the distance between first base and second base by four and a half inches, right? So three inches here right there, and then an inch and a half at second base. And similarly, between second and third is gonna be shortened by four and a half inches. However, the way that the baselines are measured and where they actually are on the, on the bag is the same. There's no change there at all. You know, hopefully it does encourage a little bit more aggressiveness on the base pass. And maybe more importantly, you know, in the minor leagues, we did see a pretty significant uh, decrease in like base-related injuries. The safer we can make the game, the more we can keep our, you know, our best players on the field, the better. So the first one we talked about, right, a depth restriction. So infielders need to have both feet in front of this outer boundary of the infielder, the cut here, right? And that's when the pitcher starts his motion. So there's no more of the pitcher starts his motion and you're walking in to here, right? You have to start within that, within that outer boundary. There has to be two infielders on each side of second base. And when we say on each side of second base, we mean clear of the entire bag. Right, not just some imaginary line that runs through the middle. An infielder could be positioned here-ish. However, I don't think you're gonna get too close, right? Because you don't wanna potentially you know, trigger a violation. We're also going to have umpires keep an eye on any kind of like circumvention attempts, right? Which the two kind of like most common things we heard were infielders kind of sprinting to gain depth or like positioning to the pull side right upon release. Our experience in the minor leagues holds it all you're gonna see kind of guys just playing in a more traditional setup. All right, so there he is talking about the, the changes and that was pretty good insight. I mean, just uh, additional clarity on on what's going on. So what do you not like about what he said, Russ? Anything? Um, well, I, I go back to kind of what I've said. I mean, I, I, li I understand what they're trying to do and I appreciate the spirit of it. It's just so I don't have an issue with the pitch clock or banning the shift. I don't have an issue. I just wish there was more than 15 seconds on the pitch clock. I think that's kind of the conclusion I've come to. If you're going to have the pitch clock, have the pitch clock. But I'd like it, you know, closer to 25 or 30. Again, okay, you know, 15 seconds the base is empty, 20 seconds with runners on, 
innings seven, eight, and nine in extra innings, just move it to 20 and 25. Wouldn't that be a kind of a compromise between, oh, it needs to be longer, like you're saying, and what it is now? Just yeah. have a little bit more flexibility for those innings that make a difference. I, I still think that's the most logical kind of compromise, for lack of a better word, to just – uh, when the game is online, give them a little bit more time. Yeah, and I think and, – and, and here's the other thing. the So the average time of the game so far, we, you know, we've had about a week of games now, is 30 minutes quicker. So last year the average of the game uh, was three hours and seven minutes. So now you're closer to two and a half hours. If you put more time on the pitch clock and lengthen the average 15 minutes – it's always been my understanding this was to the main thing was for television to keep everything into a nice neat 3-hour window like the NFL has. So if you add 15 minutes to the time of the games right now, you know, you're going to be in that window. So I yeah. but I've never actually heard Major League Baseball ever really come out and say that, so I'm not sure if that's their ultimate goal or if Rob Manfred's really trying to get out of there in 2 hours. I I, I don't know. Well, it's uh, I don't know. There I this is it's bizarre to me in some aspects of of all of this going at the same time. I mean, they're, they're, these are significant changes. I, I just don't think there's ever been any other year where there's been any type of, of change. I mean, look, when I'm sure when the DH started back in the early 70s, and I was not watching the game then, I'm sure that was pretty dramatic. I mean, all of a sudden, pitchers didn't hit. It was only in the American League, of course, and – wasn't as dramatic when the National League started a couple of years ago because we had seen it for years in the American League. But I'm sure when that happened back 50 years ago, and Ron Bloomberg was the first DH who is from the state of Georgia, I'm sure that was a big deal. I'm sure it was like, wow, this is a different game now with the pitchers in the American League not having to hit. This is going to be a whole different thing too. And um, so, But that was good in, in information from that guy. I do wish Russ, I think one thing along with the extra time there in the the late innings. I wish the clock started when the motion starts, because Russ, I bet you money, we're going to see some pitchers who are winding up as that clock hits fifteen or hits twenty, and if they get called for a ball because they're in the motion, I mean, why not start it when the motion starts instead of. You know, almost when the ball, I just I, I, that's going to cause problems. I feel I really and and that is being too picky. You know what I'm saying? I mean that it's like let them have the motion to start instead of rushing that because that I'm, pitchers are going to have a problem with that. I think some of them, not all of them. Yeah. No. It, it, look, it, the guys that it can adjust to this the quickest are going to have the most success out of the gate. I don't think there's any doubt about it, and it is an adjustment. And uh, and and look, I'm I'm if you're going to do it, I, I'm glad they did it this year since you do have the extended spring training because of the World Baseball Classic. Because you're right, I mean, and for some of these guys, this is a major major adjustment. And I, I and I know ball players, athletes, they're creatures of habit, man. They've developed the routines, and especially for the more veteran pitchers. Yeah, you know they they may be struggling with that a little bit right now, but at least they have a little bit more time this year to kind of get used to it. Yep, absolutely. We will uh, we'll see how it goes both with the games in the spring and also with the games starting in April of the, the regular season. Next, we'll talk a little basketball. That and more on this Thursday. Right after this. 
All right, the Braves game is over. They have beaten the Mets, which we're used to. 6-2 the final. And again, Kobe Allard, solid three innings, no hits, no runs, one walk, three strikeouts. Very good to see. Dodd, two scoreless innings, two and a third, rather. And Alan Rangel that gave up two unearned runs there who made the error. Luke Bauer, the first baseman, made the error for the Braves. By the way, Grissom got a stolen base, which was good. Uh, Forrest Wall also had a stolen base. Eli White had a home run for Atlanta, Ryan Castile. So there you go, Atlanta with a win over the Mets. Now they can have a good dinner in Palm Beach and play the Astros tomorrow there. And Bryce Elder will be on the mound for Atlanta. All right, a couple of basketball notes. Uh, again, uh, this weekend, Georgia and Georgia Tech will wind up their regular season with Georgia Tech playing at Boston College at 2.30 on Saturday. It's coming after their first road win of the season in the ACC for Georgia Tech with a 20-point win over Syracuse. Then Georgia will play at South Carolina on Saturday at 1 o'clock. Georgia had a very bad loss to Florida by 10 points the other night, and they are trying to uh, keep that record above 500. There are only two above 500 right now at 16 and 14 overall, 6 and 11 in the conference. I mean, their chance of having a winning conference record ended a long time ago. But they could still finish above 500. I mean, obviously they have the tournament to play in, and if they get knocked out early there, it would be nice if they could get a win in the tournament. But I don't know if I'm going to count on that too much. They they may get a a, a trip to a postseason tournament somewhere, if not the NIT, somewhere else. But winning uh, at South Carolina would help a great deal. That's why the Florida loss hurt a lot the other day. So we'll see that on Saturday. Hawks will be back in action tomorrow night against Portland, and they will uh, try once again to get over the hump and uh, on the plus side of the 500 mark. We'll see what happens. Quinn Snyder's next game, of course. Uh, Georgia Tech beat Kennesaw in baseball. They remain undefeated. And tomorrow night, it will be Georgia hosting Georgia Tech at Foley Field, 6 o'clock. We'll uh, pick up the action of that game after our program is over in Macon and Savannah. So stay tuned for that. Then Saturday, 2 o'clock at Georgia Tech at Russ Chandler. Sunday, it'll be at Gwinnett. Cool today park is that it, Russ? One of them's Cool Ray. One of them's Cool today. I, I think what next Cool Ray and Northport's Cool today. Oh, that's right. Northport is. Yeah, you're right. That's it. That's it. So, so there you go. So, um, should be fun to see Georgia and Georgia Tech play. I mean, Georgia Tech off to a great start, but I mean the over under on runs for those three games between those two teams, Russ. What do you think? I mean. We're like 75. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding when I say I think seriously, I think 60 would be a I mean, that's about 10 runs each per game. I think you could see something like that. I do too. I I mean, it's just been a home run derby with these teams. Um a, a unbelievable amount of of um of of runs scored so far. So, I'm not going to be surprised whatsoever Tex had trouble 
keeping runs from being scored, and they they play home run derby themselves. So it could it could be three really good games. I mean, if you if Ron Manford wanted to see offense, he ought to, ought to play or watch college baseball. He'd love that right now, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, he would, especially that Tech team since they're beating people, you know, with like low scoring football scores, you know, twenty to fourteen and stuff like that. Unbelievable, no question. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, going to be. Uh, Fun to see what happens this weekend between Georgia and Georgia Tech. W- wanted to mention, uh, of course, we're all kind of keeping our eye on the on the uh, combine. Uh, the Jaguars, according to reports, are expected to use the franchise tag on tight end Evan Ingram, and that's significant because Ingram was looking to be a real big target for a lot of teams. We we talked a little bit earlier this week about the temptation Falcons might have to draft Darnell Washington and do the same thing with him and Kyle Pitts that Georgia, Todd Munkin, Kirby Smart did with Brock Bowers as far as having another big tight end on the field at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I just mentioned that because Evan Ingram had such a good season last year for Jacksonville uh, coming over and, and being just a – Tremendous threat for Trevor Lawrence. He had 73 catches, 766 receiving yards. He had four touchdowns and uh, most catches and receiving yards in Jaguars franchise history, surpassing Kyle Brady back 23 years ago. And he was a huge reason why they kind of reached that next level. And again, Russ, it kind of shows what tight ends can do for a team. I mean, I know Trevor got better, mainly because he had a quarterback coach, but you can't say that the presence of someone like an Evan Ingram did not help matters. Oh, yeah, there's no no question about that. Uh, we, we see it all the time. I mean, that's why uh, Tony Gonzalez was brought in by the Atlanta mm-hmm. Falcons to kind of be a security blanket for Mike Vick. Uh, Algie Crumpler, I mean, for Matt Ryan, Algie Crumpler for Michael Vick. Uh, it's, young quarterbacks having a tight end like that, is it, it's just – it's it's a comforting thing to have just somebody there in the middle of the field you can dump the ball off to to, to just kind of make it life easier until you really get your feet under you as a seasoned veteran. Yep, we'll see exactly what happens with uh, with that and uh, combine starting up. So there's a lot to to watch out for and to see how these players on the UGA. You want to see what Keon White from Georgia Tech do? Does Southern have anybody in the combine? Russ, do you know? No, no Eagles in the Combine this year. Okay. Uh, they'll have a pro day later on this month, obviously, but, yeah, but no, nobody at the Combine. Well, and, and I'm sure there will be a lot of people there to watch watch those players. There's no, no question about that. So, yeah, Combine coming up here the next couple of days, and whether it's the Georgia players or players the Falcons may have an eye on, SEC players, of course, a lot of Alabama players are going to be there, a lot of Tennessee players to keep an eye on as well, the wide receivers. And then Hooker, where's he going to go? A lot of big-name SEC players keep an eye on in, the, in, in Indianapolis over the next couple of days. You are listening to The Bill Shank Show.